first after the show. I have about an hour and 15 minutes. I can continue to answer questions. Oh, that'll be fun. I can always pop over and uh, give you a hand with that. And Laura, you should make that announcement uh, toward the end of the show once we're on. I will. I just, I put it out there because we get into the show and I may forget. We won't let you forget. I was counting on that. <laughs> Oh, no. Now I got to think of what my New Year's resolution is. Okay. I'm going to resolve to no longer make resolutions. I'm going to resolve not to get stuck in elevators. What'd you do? Push all the buttons at once, Mitch, again? No, I just stepped in, it. you know, but you know how it is with me. Everything has to somehow be heard. Good thing they didn't have a microphone in that uh, elevator. <clears throat> yeah, they always do have a microphone in the elevator. I got bad news for you. Yeah, they do. There's a hands-free phone. Which had a really bad ground loop on it. I was like ready to do a, a ruthless review of the elevator interior, but uh, nobody cared. And that brings up an interesting point because there, as they drop landlines as uh, services, how do they deal with emergency elevator ele uh, telephones? They can't be wireless, right? No, they're landlines. That's right. And as they get rid of landlines, eventually I'm not going to be able to get out of the elevator. And there'll be radio. I think they just do a converter. Yeah, if they lose internet service, then you can't call out. If power goes out to the building. Plus, you know, Mark, how wireless stays is. has its own power. See, POTS lines have their own power. That's right. It is a good example of how we lean on technology to the point where we don't imagine what would happen when it gets ripped out from underneath us. When Google dies, when Facebook dies, when the cellular system collapses we're in trouble yeah well, i know when the power goes out for like five hours here it's like guy i gotta read a book by flashlight <laughs> i'm gonna sleep forever when that happens so what's interesting you, I, just, I just want you to know chris i prepare for that every day well you've told me you've told me <laughs> stories so, so I, I, am, I, I, I can't say that i'm ready yet but i think about it every day I think about it every day, and I realize I'm in trouble. Hmm. Alex, do you have a safety room in your house? I'm not worried about that. It's not the problem. <laughs> I'm not worried about safety rooms. I'm, Good morning. Uh, it's, it's losing all the power. Good morning, Laura. Are you ready, Laura? Yes. Excellent. There's been some. There's been some confusion about this, but I think we've got that sorted. Okay. Good. It's called the Wave plugin, which is really close to something else we use. I know. I, I, I had to look at it twice. I was like, Wave? And then I was like, oh, right, 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 right. 
Alex, they're suggesting your headroom might be a little tight. It will sort itself out over time. It's just the way my I sit on the little cushion that if I don't if I don't get to it fast enough, sit on it long enough. You'll notice in a couple minutes it'll just be just right. I'll go like I'm this just a messenger, lamp. sir. It just needs to settle in. But yeah, yeah, Chris, single ingredient cooking. It's the key to the operation. I'm not worried about food. Have a good show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about media and virtual production. Second hour is usually something we want to spend a little bit more time on. And today we're going to talk about the Waves plugin, the Wave plugin, but not the Wave plugin that you know. It's really dealing with accessibility. And Laura Thompson from our, our own Laura Thompson will be here to kind of walk you through it and talk about uh, how it's used to analyze websites and so on and so forth. So, so we'll, we'll, she's going to dig into it and uh, show it to us in the, in the second hour. So we're looking forward to that. All right, let's go ahead and uh, jump into the questions. Mitch, what do we have? First one in from Andy Kokendorfer in Vieira, Florida. Andy asks, what are the group's New Year's resolution for 2023? Good, Mitchell. Well, I, I think a couple of things. Uh, one is I want to destroy all vestiges of virtual backgrounds on Zoom. Uh, that's the that's first your, that's one. Your, your, that's your, your, your um, thing for everyone, right? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm going <laughs> to just sort of make it my job to do that. And uh, the second one is uh, I want to dig, uh, dive deep into Cinema 4D. That's my next big thing. That's great. Uh, Good, Courtney. Besides resolving not to buy any more equipment I can't use, I'm resolving <laughs> not to, uh, after 2023, I resolve not to answer anyone's question about what are my New Year's resolutions. <laughs> Go ahead, uh, Jeffrey. Yeah, I'm going to put a moratorium on all of my purchases until I need it, and then I'm going to purchase it. Uh, for me, it's I, I built out the uh, secondary studio for more editing and uh, production to be uh, doing some TV work. So I, I really want to put together a show uh, that uh, where I'm not actually not on it, uh, except for behind scenes. So that'd be a lot of fun. Good, Mark. I'm going to res uh, protect myself from all this AI by getting a rotary phone and a really long RJ11 cable. <laughs> Go ahead, Mitchell. I forgot one. Um, I want to get rid of at least half of all subscription services on TV that end in a plus. <laughs> Go ahead, uh, Chris. I'm going to get rid of this door. You're not going to see this door <laughs> soon. -ish. There's a resolution. I'm, I'm getting No, no, it. it's, it's going to happen. Resolve to get rid of this door. I, yeah. it, it dawned on me that if I turn my desk 90 degrees, I'll have a solid wall behind me. And, and put all kinds of fun things. But I will have to use that door to gain access to this desk, which is weird, which means from the bedroom, I have to walk through the bathroom, through the closet, boom, into my office. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, a, it's, it's like a, you know, it's like a secret, secret passage. It's the right Winchester now. Mystery Studio. The key is to, re is to replace the door with a shelving that looks like just shelves. So what's on, you said the closet's on the other end? Literally, that that door goes closet. to a walk-through closet. You've yeah, heard of so, a walk-in closet? So you, this is a walk-through closet. You need a wall of shoes there, right there that just looks like a wall of shoes, but you have to pull one pair of shoes to open the door, and then, and then this will be your secret. Hideaway. I'm not saying no. I'm not saying no just to think that about idea. it. 
It's yeah, considerate. My, my weekend is ruined. <laughs> yeah, you can make it. You could make it. I, I'd have to buy it. You would make it, uh, Laura. I don't do New Year's resolutions, but um, I really think that we need to carry the message to those who matter about digital, about how technology can support well-being. That's great. That's very good. Yeah. Um, I, uh, my big thing is just getting my, my garage clean. Uh, I've been, I made some progress over the break and now I just want to finish it so that it's all nice and clean. And that means that I, my gym will be back. And so then the other one related to that is losing some weight. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what everybody wants to do, uh, in going into every year. All right. Uh, next, next question. From Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas, asking, in Zoom, I've got multiple Insta360 links in Zoom, and they're all listed as Insta360 link. Can I rename them, or is there some way to tell them apart? If not, can we make this a feature suggestion to Zoom as a group? Yeah, we're going to have to start writing down these feature suggestions because we talk about them, and then we just don't get to them. So someone's going to have to be the... the uh the X checker, <laughs> you know, of the, of the, of the requests. So, so anyway, uh, I think it's a good, I, I don't, I don't know how to do it. I'm actually testing. I just got, I just got some more cameras. I'm going to test the zoom room related to that. And I think that that may be a challenge. Go ahead, Chris. You know, uh, I have a link, but I also have the Ozbot, which is the slightly older version of it. I, I, I was updating some software yesterday and down came a, um, a utility called the um, Ozbot Web, blah blah. It, it, it's something about you know. It's a utility to help use it as a webcam, and there is a button on it, a very uh, distinct round button in the upper left hand corner. It's actually it's not a button; it's a label, and it says one. And it's just a big number one. And when you click on it, because it screams "click on me," when you click on it, it depresses like it's a button. And I only have one of them. I know that you're building your mini webcam 360 link multicam studio, Alex. But uh, this thing screams like it's the selector between multiple right. uh, uh, Ozbots if you, had, if you had multiple of them. So I'm wondering if anybody does have more than one. I know my friend, our friend Felipe has one. Uh, it'd be interesting if indeed that is what that uh, uh, button Ish yeah, because I'm I'm playing with a I'm, I'm really working on this idea of a really small little studio kit, you know that that is you know this this tiny thing that I can fit into a fifteen ten or or even smaller, but that fifteen ten is kind of the target, and um, I I am going to be digging into this a little bit because I'm going to have I have four of the Insta three sixties. And I want to see if the Zoom room will work, but I'm also trying to figure out how I'm going to put audio in. And, and I do think that the question is, is who should fix it? Is, is it Zoom or should it really be Insta360? You know, because they really should have a way. They have different names. So the, the, the cameras in Insta360, I already know that if I put three cameras into, into um, if I put three cameras um, into the computer, it will show up as they have different numbers. They have their own little serial numbers inside of the Insta360 app. So you can go to one to the, one to the next. Um, but I don't know if that name can, that, that name, I don't think it's exposed to external applications. And I think that's the problem. So it's really almost a request for Insta360, not Zoom, to allow when you open up that app to define that. And it might be there and we, we may need to look at it. This is an example of how we... And to a certain extent, this well, certainly this community, but a lot of people, we live on the 
the fringe. Uh, I've had it described as the lunatic fringe of the bell curve. And uh, manufacturers, software and hardware, they th their profit margin is uh, uh, addressing the 80% of the bell curve and not the two 10% uh, pointy tips. How many people buy Insta360s uh, uh, in bulk, as you have, Alex, and are running into this problem. So it's- Well, the, it's the big thing is that, is that this gets back into why we need to start requesting things as a group, which we will start doing next week. Um, so we'll, fi we'll figure out what we're gonna talk about next week. And then we're gonna do you know one every week in 2023. So there'll be something that we've decided we wanna change. The, the, the difference is, is that, is that the, uh, we may be in the bell curve in the top 1%, but if we send in 200 requests, we are now, in the, we will appear to be in the middle. <laughs> so, so like, you know, like, so, 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 so it's, it's, it doesn't matter where we are. They're like, wow, a lot of people. Because if we sent in, if we sent to Insta360, probably two or 300 requests for this to be fixed, it's probably it more requests. The, than, it, it changes probably, the bell curve. It's probably more than any other uh, request they've had in the last year or since they let, released the, 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 um, camera there was a story recently that you shared about um and I, it may have been carluccio where where you put out the the bat signal if you will we were in a said, we were in a session on saturday and and, and admittedly part of it was because andy drew, drew so many people to it that we're all using zoom iso and and so he's explaining how to use it but at, at that moment we just decided let's go ask universe if they'll these if they'll if they'll return you know we need better integration with zoom iso to universe and i got an email back and said we we, we heard it we uh, uh that we got more requests for that feature in the last 20 minutes than we've in 20 minutes than we've had all all requests ever <laughs> you know so they were like we hear you okay okay we'll do it so so we, we got their undivided attention and 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 as we try to grow the, over in 2023 you know that becomes a really it's a factor that we that allows us to help move things in the industry forward in a way that i think makes sense for uh, a lot of people not just us uh next question and the next question is coming in from alex Lindsay in novato california alex asked have our panelists bought any new toys over the holiday break go ahead mitchell i got this fantastic deal on an ipad pro that you wouldn't believe how little I paid for it. This was so inexpensive. I can't believe that the price was so low for a pro. <laughs> Go ahead, Jeffrey. So I've been uh, I've been doing a, a few different upgrades with my 3D printer. I put a what's called a direct drive uh, into the uh, printer, so I don't have to worry about the little Bowden tube that that went back and forth. I upgraded the motherboard to a more silent board, and then uh, I also put on a what's called a. Uh, uh, CR touch, which allows for bed leveling a lot better. I had an old one on there and it had like a red dot coming out of it and I wanted to get rid of it. So this one's completely encased in like a smoky black uh, case. Good, Chris. Hello, Chris. Can't hear you. Uh, oh, there you go. Uh, about the Ultra. Oh, look at you. And that's part of the reason why I need to... Uh, Turn the room ninety degrees because the, the desk is too big. Well, it's a it, this, think about this is anybody who's building a, a workspace and some of us think about it a lot. This desk currently is pushed up against a wall. It is nearly impossible to work on it. 
part of the reason I'm turning the desk 90 degrees is it will expose the back of it to an to open space where it is easier to work on. I, I literally can't, uh, I can't get at everything in the room to plug this in and install it. And I, I bought a new visa mount because I bought the cinema display and blah, blah, blah. And it's just, it's a nightmare to try and work when you're up against a wall. So it's a, it's a process. It's going to be great. Um, yeah. So, uh, I got, uh, I got a couple things in the last couple of days, actually. Um, I got these, this little thing. This is one of those arms, those little magic arms, the little newer magic arms. And I feel a little bad for buying it because I know what they did, <laughs> but I still bought it because I can't afford Nogas. The old, old, the old newer arms were like Nogas, were a little, they were inspired by Nogas. These are almost identical to Nogas. The and older, newer arms? This is, is the older, newers. Yeah, the older, newers. So it's a lot stiffer of an arm with a little with a little uh, clamp and i'm using these i use these for like putting iphones in places with timers and stuff like that i was pretty excited about that i also bought i'm upgrading i got these mv7 x's which don't have the usb which are a lot less expensive so i got a couple of these so this if you, if you give up the usb these little these little guys are like 170 bucks you know or something like that so i was, I was pretty excited about that and then um the final thing that I got that I was really excited about was uh, we have a we have a complaint by guests that's come up a couple of times that when we send out our mics that they that you know Mike whoever designed like the, the mic threading I wish I could go back in time and just go no 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 not like that you know because it's just the worst it is like the worst and so I hate I hate doing it and I realize we have people that complain about trying to get it on correctly this is a quick release. You pull this down. So you put this on your on your on your mic stand. You have this. You just go. Well, see now it's not going to work. And that's it. Like there's no screwing on. I'm getting these for all my mics. <laughs> like I'm just going to have the, all the mic stands are just going to have like I'm just going to snap things onto it rather than having it there. So that made me very happy. All my band mics have that those snaps on it. It's awesome. Are they good? Yeah. Yeah, welcome to the '90s, Alex. I'm sorry. <laughs> quick, quick releases. I've been screwing them on. I now know that that was foolish, but now, now, now I'm going to fix it. And I just wanted to make sure that everybody knew because it's really great. All right, next question. And they cost like twenty dollars. It's not not expensive. JB Windle in Thailand asking, I'm currently in Cambodia and will be visiting Angkor Wat tomorrow. Does the panel have any tips for making the most of the experience and coming home with the best photo and video possible? Oh man, okay. This might take a minute because I've I've done this a couple times. So JB, what you want to do? <clears throat> there is the the main temple that's down down in the front, and there's two. Um, of course, now I can't. I, the one time I need my my little. Okay, so the main temple is is right here. You know, we'll just say there are two big pools on either side of the main temple, and then there's the walkway that goes up to it. There is a little patch of ground. It's about three meet, uh, no, a meter by meter. Like this sticks out of this patch right here. That shoots one of the photos that you see in every, every, uh, you have to stand right on that patch. Um, <clears throat> and that'll be hard because if you show up at sunrise, um, there'll be 200 people, 200 people wrapped around that, that little patch. So what you have to do is if you back up and think about the, that temple, and you, and you have the runway, and then there's a walkway that you go through it. And then right here, there's a main entrance. There's some wooden stairs and, some, and a main entrance. And 
and you have to go through that entrance and, and it's it's against one of the bridges that's there um, that goes across. And so you go across that and then you go over and then you can walk down this area or you can just walk down. The, you can just walk. It's faster to walk over here. Here's the, here are the pools. Now, 2,000 people go over here. They're on the wrong side. They don't know that because they've never been to Angkor Wat, but they, if you've done it as many times as I have, um, so they're on the wrong side. So there's 2,000 people that stand on the wrong side of the, of the thing and take bad pictures because it's the wrong side. Um, the, uh, what you want to do is get to this one little patch. So you have to get here at 4.45 in the morning. Um, get there at 4.45 in the morning. Remember that it's really hot and humid. So if you're coming out of one of the hotels in Seam Reap, you got to put your, if you have a, if you have an outdoor or whatever, put your lenses out there, um, put a desiccant in it, do, you know, there's a bunch of things that you want to try to figure out how to do, but it's going to take a while if you've got a big lens for it to be where you want it to be as far as the temperature goes. So then you get there at 445. If anybody, if you see anybody that is Cambodian there at 445, they are a runner. <laughs> they are there being hired by a photographer to take this space and you'll either decide to take it go faster than them or oftentimes they won't have any gear. They're there. So if they're Cambodian, they will be a runner for a photographer to get to that position. So if you're lucky, you won't see any Cambodians. You'll just see um, a bunch of tourists. And, and, and that means that you're able to, you'll be able to walk um, relatively quickly because there will be four or five, six people. And, um, but if you're, if you walk, if you walk with intention, you'll get there before they do. And then you want to get your tripod set up there. If you have a friend, when I had Kevin Hansen, <laughs> have them stand behind you because people will press up against you because they really want that space, especially if there's some National, Geogra National Geographic and then they get really upset. So the um, uh, so that's the space you want to be in. But that's where you start the day is um, right in that space. Um, the Everyone will go to the main temple at the beginning um, because that's what everybody knows. So everyone's going to go there. What you want to do is you want to um, you want to go, you want to take your pictures of the sunrise um, there then you're going to hump it back out and you'll go out. And when you go straight out, there's like a little, there's like a little stand, like one of those little people that cook things. And he, he makes these little sandwiches that have um, this, I don't even know what he puts in the eggs. It's a little egg sandwich. It's amazing. <laughs> so that's what you do next. Go, go have that little sandwich because it's so good. I, it's my favorite breakfast period in the world. Anyway, so have that. Then you walk over to Bayan Temple. And the reason you go to Bayan Temple at that point is because everyone went to the main temple and Bayan Temple is almost empty. And Bayan Temple is far more impressive in a lot of ways. Um, so, so, so get over to Bayan, Bayan Temple. Um, you can walk there, but I usually just get a car. <laughs> I get, some, get a car and have them drive you over so you can make, make time. The place is a big place. So if it looks like it's going to be a little bit of a walk, just get in a car because you'll, if you only have a day, I've always done it with more, more than one day. Um, Anyway, Bayan Temple is going to be where you see lots and lots of photos that you, uh, you there's incredible um, things around the outside edges, but you can get to the outside edges anytime, go up, it, up, up to the second floor. Um, and that's where you, you know, that's where you want to like see all the sculpture and everything else. And you get to walk through it and there won't be a lot of people. Once you get to about nine o'clock in the morning, it's almost, un you can't move. There's all these tourists that are going through in waves. So, so it's really worth going there uh, early in the morning because those are the two big, those are the two high pressure locations um, that, that you're going to find. Um, and, but if you go to Bayan, you'll be able to enjoy it a lot more. Then after that, what I would do is I'd go to, you know, there's a, uh, um, you know, Elephant Terrace. And then off of Elephant Terrace, there's kind of a large old palace that's, that's down there that's pretty cool. There is an, and I'll, if you ping me, I'll try to send you, there is a, it, 
off in that area. You can walk off kind of into the woods. It's not into the woods, but it's off there. And there is just the most amazing reservoir that's there. I mean, it is, and no one knows where it is, and it takes a long time to get to, and you have to walk over. And we used to find it, and we used to spend the afternoon there. <laughs> that was where we kind of calmed down and just kind of, it's very quiet. There'll be like four people there. Um, and then when you come back, now in the afternoon, that's when you want to come back because all the main tourists are tired now. And so they're not, they've been beaten by the sun and everything else. And so that's when you want to go back over to the main temple because they're, they're not, there's a lot less people. They all came, they're all real excited. They got there early in the morning and they start weeding out and it becomes a lot less troublesome at about three o'clock in the afternoon. And then you can go through the main temple and there's some, you know, take uh, as much memory as you can, take lots of photos. If you're going to take an, if, if, if you happen to be taking an A7, uh, uh, A7S4 with you, ping me because I need you to take some photos for me. So anyway, so I, I'm, I, I want to see what the difference is on some, some stuff. So anyway, that's my recommendation if you're going to Angkor Wat. Um, I've shot it a few times. So, so, so uh, and I got to spend a couple of days there doing, doing that. I did that pattern over and over and over again um, to, to capture some stuff that I was doing. Anyway, there you go. Uh, next question. Dan Goldstein from White Plains, New York, is asking, using Zoom OSC Companion only loads participant names after they've been turned on, turned on their camera. Is that the proper behavior? Is there a way they can be loaded as soon as they join the meeting? I There should be a way that you can load them as soon as they join the meeting, but I am not 100% sure. Um, uh, what you want to do is use the... Uh, I, 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 I made a call. <laughs> so what you want to do, I didn't make a call, but, but some, someone, so one of our friends is watching and uh, said, uh, the answer is to use the Zoom ID as tracking, uh, uh, as tracking mode and subscribe to all participants versus the gallery. Oh, there you go. All participants instead of gallery and use the Zoom ID as tracking mode. So um, there you go. Uh, next question. Robbie Clark Snooks from Chilliwack. How do you deal with a regular sports client you invoice monthly but have been waiting on payment for two months? They've paid within a few days for years, but since raising prices due to inflation, they refuse to pay within the agreed time. Uh, go ahead, Mark. So this is really a tough position to be in, but what you want to do is try and separate the people who are in front of the client from the people who are collecting the money, if you can. It depends how big the businesses are, but you don't want the client making the decision to be uh, asked for money from a project manager or somebody who's a salesperson. You want that to come from somebody who's acting as a bookkeeper for you, who's calling that bookkeeper at their at that company so that you're keeping yourself or the people making the decisions away from that. So they're not thinking about that every time you try and get a new job. Go ahead, Mitchell. Um, generally, uh, my advice is if it's a small company you're working for and they're running behind in payment, you're doing them a disservice to extend too much credit to them because it's going to get to a number that's going to be too big for them and you're going to have to start some kind of legal action and then you're done. If you do that, that's not a good idea. The other problem is that a lot of uh, uh, larger organizations have been absorbed by bigger organizations, and it's just their general accounting method to pay within 60 or 90 days, and there's really nothing you can do about it. They're just going to continue to do that, and we're talking big sports organizations. I don't want to name their names here, but I'm seeing it over and over again. So you kind of have to build that into your uh, your billing up front and just be ready for it because it's going to happen. Good, Courtney. 
Well, there are a couple of solutions to this. It depends on what you're doing for this sports client. If you're doing a job that uh, could be, you could be considered an employee, an hourly wage, uh, you could go on a time card. And they usually, I'm not sure where Chilliwack is, but uh, if it's in the United States, uh, you could, uh, they have to pay employees uh, within two weeks, uh, part-time employees. So uh, that would increase it, but you'd have to fill out a time card. And sometimes if you bill for equipment, you can put that on a time card as box rental. So uh, it's an additional amount that'll be processed by the payroll company. So it'll go out within two weeks. If you're invoicing for services, uh, and you're a regular client. It uh, depends on how big this sports client is. If it's part of a, a conglomerate like ESPN or Disney or somebody like that, they have an accounts payable department that's probably been offshored to Bangladesh or uh, somewhere in India. And so uh, getting paid, you, you best uh, open up a vendor account with that company uh, to, you know, streamline getting paid off of invoices and that way you can submit your invoices if you have a vendor account with the major corporation who does accounts payable as routine and uh, you can enter your upload your invoices electronically these days and they get paid a little faster than if you're submitting an invoice to somebody who has to submit it to somebody else who has to submit it to somebody else who has to go online and file it and somebody in another country somewhere has to approve it and get it paid, and it'll take 60 to 90 days to get paid. That's generally what the major corporations are doing these days. Go ahead, Chris. A couple things, Robbie. The fact that they've changed their behavior is indeed potentially a problem, and you should definitely uh, work at it. But in the big picture, I will, excuse me, I will say that a lot of companies, a lot of people that are new to freelancing, and it doesn't sound like you are, um, are a little alarmed that it might take, you know, 30, 45, 60, 90 days to get paid. What I always tell people and what served me well when I was freelance was that if you get into the stream, if you will, and you realize that all your money is coming in 30, 60, 90 days late, you you just get used to the fact that in March, you're living off of the income that you made in January. And you kind of just, once you get over that first couple of months where you're not getting paid, it turns out to be just fine. However, I will also say about 30 years ago, I had a client who uh, I I did um, a bunch of work for. And one of the guys I was working with had a brother who uh, worked in the accounting department at that company. And he was literally instructed by his superiors that when invoices came in, that he was to take them and put them on the corner of his desk and wait. And wait until he got called. Hey, uh, I haven't seen my money. And at that point, he was instructed to say, oh, you know what? Uh, I see it right here. I don't know what happened. I'll make sure that goes out today. So being a squeaky wheel is not annoying. Sometimes that's part of the process. It shouldn't be. I think it's somewhat immoral to do that. Uh, Yes, I said that. Uh, But it is the reality of large companies trying to manage cash flow. He was actually told, don't pay it until you get a call. He also said, and this is particular to this company, he said, he said to his brother, he goes, don't ever give me an invoice over $10,000. And he says, well, why? And he goes, if it, if it hits that threshold, it has to go through a whole different level of approval uh, internally. He says, I don't care how many invoices you send that are $9,999, but don't ever give me one over. That's particular to that company, but it's if you can ask around, 
it might yeah. be good to know. And your raise, what Chris said, what whatever your price went up, it may have gone over some threshold that you don't know about that now is a whole different ball of wax for them. Because I know that like for many government agencies in DC, for instance, is a good example, is $2,000 can you put on a credit card and you'll get paid that day. <laughs> like, like, you know, you'll finish it, you'll send them an invoice and they'll just put it, they'll, as long as you're okay with getting paid on a credit card, you'll just, they'll just handle it. Um, if it goes over $2,000, triple bidding and process and things and people you have to talk to and you'll get paid in 120 days. And so it's amazing. What it does is it creates this crazy ecosystem uh, around it of everyone figuring out ways around that number because that's the, you know, that's the thing, you know, and so um, just something to kind of keep in mind. Go ahead, Mitchell. I used to have a big client here in Wilmington that would pay all of their bills out of Coal Strip, Montana, which couldn't be any farther away. And I think basically they might have been playing afloat, but the amount of time it took to get something through a bank that far away and then the mailing coming back, best to get direct deposit. A lot of uh, modern corporations are doing that now. And you just have to decide how important the uh, client is. Like, you know, like how hard you push. I think some people, like, if this is your bread and butter, um, I would take Chris's tact <laughs> and just find a way that it works. You know, like, you know, that that you find a way that it works for you to get paid, you know, in the time if that's your bread and butter. Um, so you got to be very careful of starting to, like, you know, I contractors who become... you. Be, pinging people and going, hey, just want to check in, uh, you know, this is, a, is something that you sh is totally you should do. Getting aggravated over email with someone who's got to pay you, you'll get paid, you just may not get any more work. You know, like they'll just make a decision like, oh, I don't want to do that anymore. You know, and, and so you just have to be careful whether they're in the wrong, right or wrong. It's I've seen it's probably almost every job. Yeah, somebody, be nice about it. Everybody somebody, somebody go, you know, goes off on 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 some someone, and and they, you know, they get the they get their check. They just aren't going to get called again, you know. And so you just have to be, you just have to take it, you know, a lot. You know, when we were doing as much when Pixelcore was doing tons and tons of large corporate, you know, we just kind of we start reminding people at about thirty five days because it was a thirty day invoice. Hey, just checking in at about thirty five days, not at thirty days, but thirty five. Then again at 45. And then we started getting a little stressed at 60. But we wanted to get paid at 90. <laughs> you know, like that was that was kind of thing going, Chris. Yeah, I will I will also say uh several years ago, uh 25 years ago, something like that, I used to do a lot of work at the uh internal studios at Hewlett Packard. I don't mind telling you who it was, because here we go. Uh and it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare getting paid by Hewlett Packard. I hated it. Every day I'd work in their studio, it'd be two days on the phone of like arguing and what's going on. And so finally, one day I got called for a, a studio gig there and they and I said, hey, by the way, I just want to let you know, new year, beginning of the year, I, I'm raising my rates a little bit. And he goes, oh, okay. Yeah, well, what, what are you raising it to? And I tripled my day rate. And he goes, whoa, 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 what's going on? And I said, well, look, every time I work for you guys, it takes me two days on the phone to get paid. So I got to get paid for my time. So I'm tripling my rate. And he goes, hey, you know, you're a contractor. You do what you want. But I got I got to tell you, if you raise your rate that much, I'm never going to be able to hire you. And I said, promise? And and that was it. I was done with them. I, 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 it, there are times where you have to cut ties and you go, you know what? This is just too much work. And way and too the much work. The main thing that 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 uh, I've done over in, over the past is I just slowly replace that client with somebody else, and I don't ever have any interaction. I don't have any confrontation. I don't, I don't even tell them there's a problem. I just keep taking the work. But at some point, 
they get my assistance instead of me. At some point they get, you know, like, like they, you know, like it's just at some point, like I, I build up a system that is no, no longer, you know, the, you know, I just kind of just slowly move them to the door. And, and, and what's funny is, is the, the reason that that's important is that occasionally they come back and go, Hey, we got another job, you know, like, you know, because they, they, they need you. And, and then you always go, it always begins like, wow, this is actually pretty fun to work with them. I don't know why I don't work with them anymore. But by the end, you're like, oh, I remember why. Yeah, yeah so, I, so anyway. <laughs> I have no problem if I never see the inside of the human I know, I know, but I'm just saying, <laughs> it's a small world and it's easier to be not labeled as a troublemaker and just be busy. You know, the easiest way to, to do stuff is to fill up your time with other, other work and then just go, hey, I'm sorry, I'm booked on that on those days. I can't make it. That's the easiest way to do it. And again, if a client continues to be difficult, rather than getting into a tit for tat with them is really look at how you utilize the work that you're doing to find other work you know, and bring it in and, and fill and backfill that until it's not uh, until it's not a problem to, to just move on. Next question. James Fosling in Minneapolis, Minnesota. James asked when Zoom or other software services change a feature that ruins your workflow, what is your strategy after leaving feedback? Not that he's bitter. I go ahead, Jeff, Jeffrey. It it really depends on, first of all, if it's an enhancement or a bug uh, that comes from an enhancement. If it's an enhancement, there might be some other reasons that uh, that we don't see that they're doing this, uh, for instance, security or, or anything like that. So the first thing I would do is I would go to something like an after hours and I would... Uh, or a group wherever wherever it's appropriate and then just basically say hey you know what do you guys think of this how can we work around this uh, how can we fix this on our own if that's something that becomes an inhibitor like it stops video or or whatnot then uh, uh putting in tickets and then doing a mass ticket uh uh through a group mm -hmm. uh so we can all uh we can all benefit from this would be the next plan of action but first of all try to resolve it on on your own is my first thought good mitchell collective bargaining it works uh, it's always worked and i think the idea that uh, we have a mass support ticket um you know coordinated by uh, our friends here at office hours it's going to be very interesting because it's going to be a force to be reckoned with. We're going to get, we're going to, we're going to move the needle, and that's the important thing. And the key is, that is when we make when we make requests as a group, we just want to make sure we make intelligent ones that that we're not just you know waiting around into those things. But but we you know so the, probably the best thing to do is to is to come up here, tell us what the actual issue is and that that has changed your workflow. And, uh, and then we can suss out, like, who do we ask? Like, we were talking about this earlier with Insta360. Do we ask Zoom to fix something where you can name the cameras? Or do we ask Insta360 to fix six, or do we ask both? <laughs> like, you know, so, so those, you know, and, and try to get both of those things. And so I think that, um, I think bringing up an after hours, but also bringing up an office hours and saying, you know, this was changed and now I can't do X and Y and Z. Uh, why is that the case? And, and uh, let us discuss it because there's a lot of people that watch the show. Uh, next question. From Douglas Carmichael, Douglas asks, what professional headset would you recommend with a condenser mic? I go ahead, Courtney. Well, if you're looking for uh, professional headsets, um, I like um, uh, Audio-Technica and Sennheiser, and you wanna, what you want to search for is broadcast headsets, and that will be the professional type. Here's one from Audio-Technica. It's about 400 bucks. Um, and there's also some from Sennheiser. You can get them from anywhere from you know 279 or 300. 
to the much more expensive ones that are closer to $600. And most of these, you know, terminate. You won't find any USB headsets in the professional or broadcast area. These are designed with XLR plugs for the microphone and uh, usually a separate, it'll Y out, the cable will Y out into a headphone plug, which is either quarter inch or, or eighth inch, and an XLR plug so that you can uh, take that audio into a mixer of some sort. Uh, and that's most broadcast microphones will, will get that to you. And I'd say Sennheiser or Audio-Technica would be a good choice to look at theirs. Go ahead, Mitchell. Uh, plus one on Courtney's uh, suggestion of the Sennheiser used many of them. And yes, they do have the Y connector, which will work with uh, most devices that you need to separate out the mic and the headset. Uh, DPA also makes a line. If you want them to be low profile, they make a low, low profile one that rolls into your ears as well. So you can have them uh, be more self-contained that way as well. Next question. From Bob Sturtevant in San Antonio, Texas, we'll be looking at comms packages, a plum case cell sat. The data through SATCOM seems a bit overpriced at $3,000 for two gigs. Any panelists with some other suggestions for emergency comms? Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Um, I, I, this is a, it's going to sound a little bit like a plug, but uh, it doesn't mean to be. Um, our friend uh, uh, Keenan Campbell he is partnering with an organization that has a um, an emergency router. I've mentioned it before, um, and it's designed especially for uh, disaster uh, recovery type stuff. Um, and what's nice about the system that Keenan sells is um, you have a a very moderate buy-in to to use it. Now, it's not a whole lot of data that comes with it. But it, but it gives you the router, the accessibility, and three it, – it, it's one of these uh, wireless routers that has like three SIM cards. So it, it seamlessly bonds the three things, and it's a bunch of stuff you'd have to talk to Keenan about it. You can find him on Discord. Um, but it's specifically designed for emergency situations. So it's a very moderate price to get into it. And then if you run over the monthly uh, data, um, you're buying additional data – at wholesale rates, so it seems it seems anemic in terms of the amount of data you get, but um, it, it might be worth looking into because it's spe it's specifically for uh, disaster recovery type stuff. Yeah, yeah, and, and I would I would also look at Starlink. I mean, it, you know, if, if you if you have wide open areas, depending on what you're planning to do, um, I think Starlink may be a good a good solution because they're not really worried about two gigs. I mean, a lot of these business models of the satcoms that you're talking about, plum cases, um, those are they're they're using older technology, <laughs> so so the uh, uh, another thing to look at is Viasat. Viasat, um, we I think we bought a Viasat dish for about five thousand dollars one time, and then we had to pay some you know monthly charge, but we had a lot more a lot more transfer than that. It was really just the speed at which we could connect to the satellites. Now that satellite and the satellite that you're using most likely is using a very um, it, it's a um, uh, you know, it depends on what, you know, what wavelength. So it's a very tight wavelength. And so it won't go through things like rain. <laughs> like, you know, like it, so you have to decide. That's why you want to back it up with cellular. So uh, we, we use the Viasat with a Peplink and the Peplink had a bunch of cell cards in it. And then we merge those together. So it'll, it'll lean on the satellite if it, if it can. It will lean on the cellular. If it can, and we kind of rolled our own inside of that. But the Viasat is something you probably want to do some research. They do have a commercial uh, commercial but not, res they have residential as well, but I wouldn't use that. Um, yeah, go ahead, Chris. Uh, and also, Keenan's device will 
bond and switch between That's great. The, the three cell things and you can patch in uh uh the elon musk thing what's it called starlink yeah because it's also any of those routers that do that or it's just an it, all it looks like to to that router is an ethernet cable you know you just gotta make sure if you get you get in the starlink you got to get the ethernet adapter Anyway, because it's not a regular Ethernet adapter, of course. It's some special one that takes three weeks to get to you. Not that I'm bitter. Next question. Matthias Utila from Helsinki, Finland, asking, using PlayAB with browser on a PC with Windows 10, when XR18 is plugged in with USB, Chrome does not appear to the OS audio mixer, but Firefox does. What could cause USB to disable one browser audio, but not the other? Observed some same behavior with two PCs. I think that you may want to go into Chrome's, uh, go into permissions and see if it's been given the permission to have access to the to that function. Um, it may be an access issue inside of Chrome. Like I don't think that it in Firefox may be running a little wild on that, but it's it may be just a not being allowed to to see that as a mic output or mic input. Um, maybe the maybe the issue there because it, if it doesn't have that drop down that asks you can I use this, then it may not be acknowledging it. Once you say no to that, it may not know. It, it it sets it somewhere in the advanced settings that it can't do that, and you have to go and find that is. So at some point in time in Chrome, if you did that, especially and this would carry over to another PC if you're using if you're logging into Chrome. So if you're logging into Chrome and your user is in both of them, you may have the same problem in both both areas. I'm just guessing. Uh, but that, that could be that could be the issue. Next question. Paul Terry Wallace from Austin, Texas is here. Paul asks, can anyone demo how to create a YouTube clip from a YouTube video or live stream like Office Hours uses YouTube's own, assuming the YouTube creator has allowed viewers to clip content enabled? Good, Chris. Yeah, Paul. So here's what you do. If you if you go to your browser here and you go to here's here's my one of my favorite channels, Matt's Off-Road Recovery, a lot of fun. Uh, so here's the clip or here's the, the video. It's a 13 minute, 31 second video down. Here's a little button says clip. I hit this clip and then up here, I get to choose the in point and the out point of the thing that I want to make a clip out of. And then I can share that clip. Uh, I could give it a little description. Uh, I'll be honest. I can't remember if it, um, if it, I think it even puts it on my YouTube channels, or, or mm -hmm. I, I can't remember exactly how it does, but that's how you do it. You hit the clip button, you pick an in and out, done. Good, Jeff. Jeffrey? Exactly. Uh, the only thing is if it's a Creative Commons or if it's a public, the, the, the copyright. And uh, so some of these videos you might not be able to do. Yep. Uh, next question. James Fosseline in Minneapolis, Minnesota has a question. My desk equipment currently looks like a swirling mess of cables. How do you keep everything orderly when constantly changing equipment? Go ahead, Jeffrey. You take all those cables and you unplug them, you wrap them up, and then you throw them away. No, I, the cable management, that's, that's the toughest thing in the world. Uh, I do a lot of 3D prints of cable uh, clips because I can make some really cool ones that have little latches on them and arms, and I can resize them big and resize them really small. Uh, other than that, uh, yeah, a lot of times I use twist ties. I, and I save twist ties, especially the really long ones, because then you can make them into snakes, and you can, you can tie them up, you can twist them, you can cut them. And a hanging wire is another one that uh, works really well if you want something a little bit more sturdy. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, recurring theme, Fenwick turning his desk. 
part of the reason is I, I want to turn the desk is because it is, uh, what did you call it? A swirling mess of cables. My desk is actually worse than that. I, I almost scurried and grabbed it out of the pocket of my jacket. I just bought these little uh, devices. Uh, I'll put a link in the event chat. It's designed to hang your toothbrush. This is going to sound weird. It's designed to hang your toothbrush on it. And it has a sticky thing. And you could put it on your mirror or you could put it on the wall or in the shower. Some people brush their teeth in the shower. Uh, and it dawned on me, this would be a great thing to just clip a couple of wires into. Uh, we'll but it, 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 it's, it's like eight bucks. And it, you, I, I think I got like eight of them or something like that. I'll, I'll put the link. It's, it's an interesting idea. I, I, did, I actually bought it for um, toothbrushes, but it might actually work with cables. Go ahead, Courtney. Well, I uh, I have different solutions. I, I of course use the the Velcro strips that uh, you can you know get on Amazon by the thousands, uh, little buckle type strips to put around one cable so that you can run it up into a, a circle and and tie it to something else. Never use uh, nylon uh, tie wraps to uh, put cables in because as soon as you get all those cables lashed together with a, a nylon uh, tie wrap, then uh, you're going to need to cut it apart because hey. Uh, you got to pull something out. So I also 3D printed things like this. Uh, just this is made out of uh, urethane, and it's it just springy. <laughs> and so I just drop, uh, loop up the cables, hang it in this. I put a command strip piece of Velcro on the back so I can stick it onto uh, a vertical surface at some point, and then I just loop up the cables, pull this up, and then when I got to pull the cables out, it just comes out like that. Too. And it keeps those cables that you're not using uh, out of the way and out from under. Go ahead, Mitchell. I use two things. It works great. Uh, one of them is this. It's a uh, cable management sleeve, and it looks like a, a piece of neoprene with a zipper on it, and it's really handy on the uh, ATEM Extreme with all the HDMI cables coming out. You just feed them in there, you put the zipper in, and off you go. Uh, the other thing I do that uh, makes things much tidier on a desk is there's a basket. It's like a wire basket that's built like a U that can bolt underneath your desk on the far side. And then you just lay your cables in that, which is very sophisticated. It's very simple uh, because as you're changing things, you can just lift them out, move them over here, and do whatever you need to do. I like that the best. I have that basket screwed onto the bottom of my desk all the way around so that I can run cables everywhere. I am okay with it being a pile of cables. <laughs> so, so like I, I change stuff so, so often, like I'm pulling things in and putting things out, moving things around. And I really tried to keep dressing it the way I normally dress things for production. And I was just like, this is, I'm spending more time managing the cables than I am just doing the thing. And I, and so um, I tear my system apart now. I've gotten now into the habit. It's stuck for, during COVID, I didn't change it because I was like, I don't know where anything goes. I don't know how to put it back together. It's just working. And now I've gotten into the habit about every month or two, I just tear the whole thing apart and put it back together. And, um, and I, and I just, it's just, it's kind of, I usually sit in after hours. Sometimes you guys hear, hear me talking cause I'll listen to you guys talking in after hours while I'm just tearing the whole place apart and putting it all back in. And when I do that, I, it, it, it's, what's funny is, is that when you do it over and over again, you get really good at it. Now you know where everything is, you know, like you, you know, it's, and, and you get, and, and it's better each time and you make some, it, it, it it creates this churn that makes you make changes. Um, and you go, oh, now I want this to sit right here. Like right now what I'm working on is where I want my switcher and where and whether I'm using SDI, I'm going to switch the whole thing over to SDI soon. And uh, I'm done with 
I just can't take the HDMI anymore. So, um, so anyway, as I'm going back to SDI, so I'm, once I finish that, um, then I'm going to, you know, redo it all again. Because the main reason that I, I want to go back to SDI is because I can make my own cables. I can't make HDMI cables. And it's driving me crazy that I, that I just don't have what I need and when I need it. So anyway, next question. From Ronnie Hofsoy in uh, Tromsø, Norway, I'm looking to do some research into Insta360 Link as a micro mobile multicam setup with video follow audio for boardroom meetings. Could this actually be done entirely inside Isadora? Can Isadora auto mix audio? Uh, you should be able to have it. You could build something that would allow Isadora to auto mix audio. Um, and by the way, uh, for our producers, start voting on those questions because we're not going to get to the end, end of them before we get to the next hour. Um, the, the main thing what you're looking for is you have to have the individual mic inputs go into Isadora if you're going to do an auto mix. So it has to see the, it can't really be audio follows video from the webcams. You really need clean audio from each person so that it can, it can kind of do its auto switching, um, to know where it is. I mean, it, you could theoretically do it with the cameras, but it's going to be really hard for it to figure out which one is the loudest if you've got three cameras in the same room. But if you mic each person, then it will really know who it is. And that, and you know, what we're hoping for is Insta360 will also give us an API because the advantage of an API is that we, which is what one thing we are going to ask them for. <laughs> so um, is the API because it means that I, I know that Mitchell's talking. I could not only jump to a camera, but have it zoom over, you know, grab preset three and over here because that person's talking. So you could build a very complex system with the Insta360s if, we had an API. Go ahead, Mitchell. I guess another option would be to use a uh, mixer, like a Dumont mixer that has uh, contact closures to let you know which one's active, and then yeah, use it's... that somehow to communicate with the camera. Well, yeah, but the problem is you can't talk to the Insta360. That's the problem. So that's what we need to, you know, have. There are some basic UVC controls that are available. So theoretically, you could use UVC controls over the camera to get it to zoom in and build your presets. But you could, I think, you could do it all in Isadora. Absolutely. Next question. Douglas Carmichael asking, would the use of Airbnb for work or other similar services help reduce cost in the touring industry versus the reliance on international hotel operators like Marriott or Hyatt? Go ahead, Jesse. I don't think so, judging from their website. It looks like they're trying to build uh, personalized team building experiences for businesses to, you know, rent out and send their team there for a weekend or something like that. Um, and if... if what what you need when you're touring is a, a reliable, iterative experience from city to city to city, and it doesn't look like it's being built in that direction either. Yep, go ahead, Jeffrey. Yeah, I totally agree on that. I don't trust Airbnb to uh, save me, uh, especially if I'm going there for business. If there's something that happens, I had one Airbnb where the person uh, disallowed me to take more than one bag into my room. And I usually travel with uh, three different bags. And so, and then, and of course, you had to take your shoes off to go in there. It was just, it was a nightmare. And I've heard way too many nightmares. And the only people that can solve it are Airbnb. And if you're there at that point in time trying to get your room, get settled in so you can get to work, mm -hmm. you, this just becomes a big hassle that you just don't want to deal with. 
I've done a lot of both, and and I'll say that Airbnb is really quirky. Never, ever, ever rent a room in Airbnb. Always rent the whole space. Like if, if you can't get the whole space, don't do it. People are weird. <laughs> like, you know, like I'm just saying, the people, you know, it's just a weird, it's a weird thing. Um, and so uh, shared bathrooms is really the problem because then you want to rent a whole space. You want to put a bunch of people in it. People don't want to share the bathroom. Um, the tour, the 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 folks on the tour would be livid if you did it f- for 180 days um, and they had to share anything. And you and it won't be cost effective if you do it as whole locations and the rooms are weird. So I would stick to hotels. Next question. Ronnie Hofsey in Tromso, Norway, asking, suggestion towards the Link Micro Mobile Multicam Kit audio processing and physical interface with minimum 16 inputs, allowing for auto mix and software like a Link that he's showing. Um, it's for fuzzy logic auto mix control or Isadora video follow audio. Yeah, I, I think that it's just a matter of you just need it. All you need is an interface that's going to get all of those audio channels into your computer. Um, now, you could probably do that with, you could have a mixer like an X32 um, and have that using Dante to send all the individual tracks in. That, then you're mixing the show and it has auto, it has the Dugan, Dugan auto mix on the, on, you can only get up to six or eight channels on the X32. Um, but uh, if you have a mixer that can handle more than that or you add a, a Dugan to it, you can have it do its own auto mix. But what you want are to control Isadora are the raw audio tracks you know, coming in so that it can, you know, the pre-fader audio tracks coming in to, to guide Isadora into what you want. Next question. Michael Fosbane from wherever. I teach music using Brio cams in Zoom. Is there a way to switch cams using my stream deck without scrolling through the cams or using the mouse? For example, a button for each cam. Go ahead, Chris. Michael, this is a really good question. And uh, yes, absolutely, very easily. What you want to do and there are physical ways to do this, but this is really simple. You could do it before the end of this show. Uh, download OBS. You can create a scene and a, uh, and each you can create a scene for each camera that you want to use. Let's say you have the close-up of the keyboard and the close-up of you talking and the close-up of the sheet music, whatever. Uh, create a scene for each one. And then you select a source for each one. And that's where you're going to do your mousing and scrolling. And wait, is it this camera, this camera? Oh, it's this one. Uh, You'll do that. Then it is very simple in the Stream Deck software when you get the OBS extension or whatever they call it, where you just create a button and you say, when I press this button, go to scene one. And when I press this button, go to scene two. And this button, go to scene three. Very simple to do. Uh... If you can't figure it out, reach out to me through uh, um, uh, Discord. I will say, and I've been I've been holding this little bit of knowledge back, but uh, Alex, I'm very interested in your mini multicam studio. I'm actually toying with the idea, I know this sounds weird, of making a three-camera studio uh, with a Mac mini and a stream deck in the cab of my truck for Zoom. Mm-hmm. When I'm when I'm on long road trips, uh, yeah. I, I went to Denver uh, two a month and a half ago. Uh, had a great time um, and spent so much time uh, on Zoom uh, with my friends here. And uh, I wanted to be able to show out the front window or you know show a passenger or even just to monitor. I want to put a camera looking out into the right. uh, the, the bed, and I want to build it all on a Mac Mini with with a Stream Deck. I think it'd be fun. 
I think it'd yeah. totally work. Yeah, absolutely. Or an old phone with a with like I would probably do it with Memo Live, but but the because um, OBS makes me crazy. Yeah, um, but but the um, I like OBS. I I I know you. I know I know you have the pushback, but. It's but, the crash. Uh, it's the crashes that drive me crazy. So, so the, um, uh, so, but, but Ecamm and Memo Live, of course, work as well for, for those kinds of solutions. And so, um, but I think that, uh, uh, I am where I think a lot of us are really thinking. I think that there's something about the Insta, for me, the Insta 360s that really opened up like, hey, I need, I want to build this little studio. Let's go to the next I don't question. Know if the 360 survived the road. Next question Eduardo Augustine from Panama asking, has anyone else watched the show Dance Monsters? Watch the behind the scenes, but it doesn't give how they really do it. Is this Unreal Engine? Yeah, I, I think it came in just before our show started, so I, I wasn't able to actually, you know, see the. Oh, let's see here. Hold on. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, that that's the beginning of the of the video that I'm I'm looking through, but uh, they're, they're showing some behind the scenes. So the link there, you know, has the behind the scenes of how they're putting it together. And there's no reason why. Yeah, I mean, they could absolutely do what they're doing there in Unreal. So, um, or or in you know, they could uh, looking at the interface. I don't I don't know if that's Unreal. It might be Motion Builder. So they but they could do it in either Motion Builder or Unreal. Would would both do real time motion capture uh, and be able to broadcast it. We've done it on most, in both of those things. Next question. Paul Terry Wallace from Austin, Texas. Paul asks, is there a way to jerry-rig chat GPT on your iPhone so you can ask it questions via speech to text and get answers via text to speech? Possibly Harshid or Laura have an answer via accessibility apps. Probably not yet, but uh, they're basically what's happening is, is the chat GPT is just there to promote the idea that they're providing an API that people can pay for for those things. And so it's getting us all interested in chat GPT and that engine's going to go into, I mean, over next year, you're going to see no less than 100 apps that are built around chat GPT to do exactly what you're talking about or stick it into, you know, like one of the things I've been thinking about is putting it into Mukana, not so much for... for to use in the show, but hey, I need to populate Mokana to show to a client or to show to someone that, for training. Just give me, just literally fill Mokana with 60 questions about HDR and it'll just fill, you know, or about some new movie or whatever and it'll just fill the whole thing and then and, and it puts in the names and everything else and it could just generate all of that in whatever that client wants to look at. Um, those kinds of things I think are going to happen pretty quickly. It's going to be interesting. Next question. Douglas Carmichael asking, in a discussion about independent venues taking minority investments from larger companies, I'm curious as to how such agreements are negotiated. How are such deals typically done, and could chat GPT uh, tech be helpful in the future? Go ahead, Courtney. Lawyers, that's it. They have lawyers, they have legal teams that uh, negotiate all their contracts for them, and especially uh, ones where they're sharing, uh, especially if they want to share a name or have a naming rights to something. Those are big agreements in, negotiated by large lawyers uh, who get millions of dollars in payment. Uh, you're not going to do it yourself. And Chad B. GPT, uh, lawyers have have so far come down on the side of anti-chat GPT because they're afraid <laughs> of losing their jobs. So well, it's not. It's it's hard. You know, there's the the, the devil's in the details. <laughs> so so the, the usually lawyers, uh, you know, are good at putting things in that that you don't notice, and Chat GPT might not notice that, that are. It'll be like two words or one word or a, per, a period in the right place can change the entire meaning of the contract, and so so. I'd want a smart human to work on that for a while. Um, next question. 
From Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas, Paul asks Chris, will you make a video on your truck set up for Zoom? I want to do this. There you go, Chris. It's gonna, this is going to be the new thing. You know, before it was drawing programs and teleprompters and, and uh, stream decks. Now it's going to be road kits. I'm, I'm a little uh, uh, worried that I've made this a public thing. This is something I've been talking about with a couple of friends for about four or five months. Uh, it's not going to happen quickly. I have other issues, other more pressing things, but it's a fun, uh, it's a fun little. Chris, I'll send you a video from it this weekend. I'll just, I'll just put the whole thing together and send it to you. <laughs> Are you going to install the gear in my truck too? No, in my truck, in my, in my van. <laughs> so <laughs> and you're like, hey, here, here's it working. <laughs> so I, I will tell you this, like, just cut me off. Just mute me when you're done hearing, uh, the, um, the, you lean toward you want to some people want to go to using a, an ipad to run this thing and i don't think so i really want the full flexibility of the full mac os plus all of the other things that you could do uh i'm probably going to mount like about a 17 inch probably vertical display uh uh next to i the i have a ram a truck that has a very large 12 12 and a half inch display vertical already i'll probably put it next to that kind of in the passenger knee area uh but uh, i have big plans i was gonna mention it at the top of the show but uh trish was still here and i didn't want to have her come unglued when she heard what i was thinking about doing to what to the truck just just don't talk about the drilling that's required to make it all work the, like, uh, i can mount it the good the good place to mount stuff is using the bolts that hold your seats down it's uh, the little things underneath there yeah, but I, I have the got the, that part figured. I have out. the Dodge Caravan, so I've got all those railings for the for the seats that I can attach things to. So I'm pretty pretty excited about the idea. I've been thinking of putting a whole production kit in there, ATEM camera system that I can pull up, and you know, Keenan has me <laughs> inspired that I should put that all in there. So we'll we'll see. All right, now we are jumping to our next uh, hour, the second hour here, and uh, Laura Thompson, our own Laura Thompson, is here and uh, here to talk about the Wave pl uh, Web plugin. This is not Waves. There's nothing. It doesn't have anything to do with the audio. <laughs> it, it just has to do with actually looking at uh, websites in relationship to accessibility. Laura, do you want to take it away and explain a little bit about how it works? Good morning. Um, yes, let me do. Just a couple things here. I'm going to share my screen and I believe our crew is ready for this. Okay, so this is the Wave plugin. What you're actually looking at here is the light version of, actually, no, that is officehours.global that you're looking at there. Um, this is the actual plugin right here. It, it uh, Chad posted the link earlier to um, where you can get this. There are six tabs across here that I'm gonna go through relatively quickly. You, you can get six types of information out of this plugin. Errors that are things that do not meet the web content accessibility guidelines. Contrast errors, which are specific to text on the background, and that gets a little bit complicated. We'll look at that a little bit later. Alerts, the difference between an alert and an error is an alert is something that might possibly be an issue for someone with a disability using assistive technology, but they need, your human needs to decide. They can give you information. Um, features are 
items that have been implemented on the site or um, software that enhance the accessibility. Structure shows the different HTML and ARIA elements that have been implemented on the set on the web page. And ARIA are the um, feature, ARIA is a specific type of accessibility feature, but they are often used wrong. And um, I'm going to show you some of that here in a minute. So looking at this is actually officehours.global. And I think if I do, I don't want to, I don't want to switch it back because it will really mess with things. And the back end team is doing some stuff to actually make this look okay going out. Um, so we have we only have two errors on this entire page, and they're just missing form labels. But if I go, if I click on the details tab and I click on one of the missing form labels, it will actually blink it. And I can go to there. It tells me it's a missing form label. It tells exactly where it's at in the page. And if I click here, it'll take me to the next tab. And this, this, this reference tab gives you the error. What I love here is the algorithm in English. So it tells you exactly how it found that, what, what it's looking at, how to fix it's right here. And then the, the um, compatible WCAG standards are linked right there. Um, the next tab over is the order. So this is gonna tell you how a screen reader, what it, what landmarks the screen reader can see and what order it's going to read them in. Your structure, this shows you all your structural components. And it will show you that, that right there, they skipped the heading level. It shows you the headings, but there was a heading level that was skipped. Um, and you can go back to the reference and get the information for that. And then the last one is the contrast tab. And the nice thing about the contrast tab is you can actually live play with the colors to, to enhance or, or change the contrast and see how that would change your accessibility levels. The other example I have here is actually, this is Mukana. This is the current light version of Mukana. So there are eight, which is what the, with not the one with the YouTube embedded, but the, but the simpler one. Um, there's eight errors, a couple contrast issues, 15 things, three structures, or three features, 16 structures, and nine ARIA elements. I'm gonna go ahead and stop the share for now. Um, but it's- And, and where, do, where do people find this website? Or this plugin? This is on webaim.org. It's W-E-B-A-I-M.org. It was actually posted, the, the exact was posted in the chat. Chad posted it before the first hour this morning in the event chat, the direct and, link. And it's free, right? It's just something you can add to Chrome. It, this and is free. There are other, there are, the the what I'm running is free. There is an API and some more like developer focused that you can pay for to get into. Right. Um, what I found is very, very nice about this is as somebody who uses assistive technology on a daily basis, one of the big struggles is talking to the people that write the software. Right. And I have found this to be a very um, user-friendly and I guess that's the best word is user-friendly way to, to go to a company. And a lot of our software now is running inside of the browser. Right. And 
that is the nice thing is, is there's a lot of things that, but there's a login. This I can get around, I can get behind logins and actually look at the website inside of this, which what makes this so different from most others is I can look at things that are behind a login. I can I can log into the page, I can, I can then go to my browser, pull this tool up and look at a page behind the login. I'm not sending a link to another site for them to do a and send me back a report, um, which is which is unique. From there's a lot of things out there that accessibility and a lot of the other things will say that they'll give you an access a free accessibility report. You send them a software that's behind a login page and they're like, we don't know what to do with this. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, uh, Laura, thanks for sharing this. This is really good. Uh, I I had a I have a client who. Uh, they actually got sued uh, because uh, they're an investment company and uh, somebody read their website, uh, took the advice from their website, lost an enormous amount of money. And their argument was that, uh, well, I couldn't read that line. I, could, I couldn't mm-hmm. read that because the contrast was wrong. And so mm-hmm. from a, now, I, I do think that there's a little bit of uh, ambulance chasing, if you will, uh, uh, in the in the legal world where people are like, they're like just looking for trouble, right? They're looking mm-hmm. for people to, to uh, uh, you know, suck money out of. Uh, but from a professional standpoint, it is very, it's obviously very important that we are, that we make things accessible, but th- Knowing that there is legal ramifications available, um, sometimes that's the thing that pushes people. I mean, we'd, we'd love it if everybody just wanted, you know, to be friendly and and we allow everybody to read everything. But some some people get motivated much more by money. It's it's good to know that there is a that there's a other reasons besides just well, you know. And I and I, I think that what's really interesting about the the plugin is, is that it it. it it, it's very specifically quantifies what the issues are. Like it's yes. one thing to say, oh, it's low contrast, but mm-hmm. being able to say this thing is checking off all the, you know, you're literally checking off the the all the little check marks that need to be done mm-hmm. that, hey, we need to go through there and, and fix these things. Um, and when that gets to zero, it definitely protects you to some degree, but it also makes it more um, accessible and makes it easier probably for crawlers and lots of other things to to do what they need to do. I mean, one of the things that we saw with, uh, captioning, which was, I thought was really interesting, is captioning was something that uh, captioning and live streaming is really hard. <laughs> like it's not, it's it's it it's buggy. Everyone complains about what words were used. Uh, it doesn't match up. It's you know it's expensive. There's just lots of things about captioning that you know, we always joke that it's you know it used to be we joke that one percent of the the um, it was 99% of the job and 1% of the viewership was watching this, these captions because it was just it, the amount of work that we did to make sure that captions worked was is stunning. Um, and it really didn't feel like it was worth it except for the fact that, you know, we what happened was we got really good at it. And then Facebook started putting it in their stream and suddenly people wanted to see captions before they chose to hit the video and they wouldn't go to videos that didn't have captions going across the bottom of them. And it just created an explosion. And then we were really glad that we had spent all those years, you know, working on captions. And I think that with a lot of these accessibility features, you know, it's not just the market that you're serving. 
it's getting good at technically make, making sure that you're technically technically correct because there's a lot of benefit to it later or there's a lot of potential benefit to it being there in that in that process and and it's 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 you know a lot of, it makes a lot of things better accessibility not just for folks that are that need it but for the entire production process gets better um, because of that yeah go ahead Mitchell yeah, I noticed that it, uh, it allows a webmaster to get good information on how to repair their website to make it more accessible, friendly. Um, I see that. The other part is, does it help you if you're viewing a website to better uh, comprehend what the website is meaning to do? In other words, does it, make, does it call out things enough that you won't trip over them or make a mistake, or does it make suggestions? Not really. Where I find I use it the most is when I'm trying to have a conversation with a website developer or an or an app developer to to it makes it more tangible for them what i'm experiencing and and is it if everything checks off on your on on um, wave do you find that that website is now usable by you is there anything that it doesn't catch that you that you wish it caught Can't hear you. Actually, no. I haven't found anything that it doesn't catch that I um there's some things that are completely invisible to right. um like tooltips. That's the one thing I guess I would say is I had a situation where information that we needed was now created like a tooltip pop-up. Mm-hmm. And that was one thing that I the, it couldn't see it because literally it was invisible to everything. And I don't know exactly how this particular website did this, what it did, but that was a long conversation. And yeah. the biggest thing I had to do was show them that when you put it into the, when you turn the style off, that that entire information was gone. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go to the first question. And it's in from Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas. Paul asks, how do you evaluate the accessibility of a web page? Are there automated tools that do this? And that's pretty much Wave, right? It's the automated tool that... Well, that's the, Wave is the best of it because Wave is the... It starts with automation, mm-hmm. but then they have a very big... You need a human to look at these. Like, you see, there's more... On both of those that I showed you, there were more alerts than there were errors the Mm -hmm. alerts are literally it says hey this is a possible problem you need to have a human go in here and kind of figure this out and figure out why and how and what the extent is got it yeah next question paul has another question here from austin texas what browser is the most accessibility friendly and runs wave the best Chrome, Firefox, or Edge? And what other browser extensions are widely used for accessibility? I will say Google Chrome is probably your best because that does make waves cross-platform. What you just saw there was I was running it on a Macintosh. Um, So yes, it does make a difference. Uh, But by far, I've used both. The Mac platform is better in a lot of respects. And I will do I will do that now. If I'm having issues, I will run it on the Mac and I will turn around. Literally, I have a PC sitting about six inches to my left to my right. And I will run it on the PC because sometimes you get slightly different 
information, which is helpful. Archie? I have found that it depends also what screen reader you might be using, specifically if we're talking about browsers and um, some of the functionalities, because these guidelines are just one component of the uh, web content accessibility guidelines, otherwise known as WCAG. And what happens here is... Can you NVDA, explain what that is? Can you say that again? What, what? Sure. It's Web access, Content Accessibility Guidelines. There are 13 of them, but they have four pillars. So if we think about just us in general, we might lose our sight, so we might go blind. We might be low vision, so we might need something to get zoomed in. Uh, we might lose our hearing, so we might need a better captioning system. Um, and we might lose mobility, so we might need some functionality that I could access a computer with a joystick or with a computer keyboard only and not have all of these extra things, you know. So these guidelines basically help pave the, the sidewalk, per se, of what accessibility is or what structure there is. Because, yeah, you get sued, and what do you have to say? Well, the color con color contrast-wise, what about if you're colorblind? and you can't see certain colors, right? So you have this compare and contrast of how can I get these guidelines across to the public and we have revisions of them. There are uh, three levels right now and with the levels is A, AA and AAA. And that's more so to deal with government and uh, entities of, the, of even educational properties because level two is what we're all going to reach mostly. Level three is really hard to get and that's going to be kind of what, you, what uh, Alex is referring to. What about your checklist has zero things wrong and zero things you know wrong with it? There's still things to be done. It's more of a, a super duper RFI, if you may. So uh, that's just a little bit of the YCAG. And with browsers, again, just to come back to the questions, Firefox works best with NVDA. JAWS works best with Chrome. And um, obviously with VoiceOver being on uh, Mac and uh, even on iPhones and iPads, Safari is the better browser for that. And uh, next question. Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas is asking, what screen reader do you use with Wave? Do you just use one screen reader? Go ahead, Lauren. Nice thing about Wave is Wave is designed to not need a screen reader. You don't have to have any screen reader um, knowledge to be able to. It makes what we hear visual and tangible to the developer, which I think is amazing. And the, the barrier to entry on Wave is actually quite low to understand what it's giving you back. You go ahead, Harshid. Again, uh, Laura mentioned it, it. You may not need the screen reader, but if I were to, again, it would be browser specific. So if I were to have it on Chrome's uh, plugin, um, I would be using JAWS job access with speech. Next question. Douglas Carmichael asking, does WAVE take into account the mobi mobility disabilities who may use alternatives to the keyboard, eye tracking, single switch access, etc.? Go ahead, Lauren. I have not dug super deeply into this, but I would think that it's looking at the code for that. I've not seen anything specific to that. Um, but it would be something to look into further. And part of the reason we're doing the second hour, sorry, um, part of the reason we're doing this is to, um, we wanna get into, we're gonna 
take this into after hours and kind of dig into this a little bit more um, and look at some things that we can't look at here. Harshid? Let's say if we told everybody to take Photoshop and learn it in one day, it's kind of like this. We could teach you the layers and buckets and stuff. So with the WCAG uh, guidelines, uh, having something like alternative uh, keyboards and such is part of those guidelines. And it just depends on what perspective you're trying to um, get the uh, the product. Like perceivable is where you have your alt tags and stuff. It's how we perceive things. But there's also operability uh, in the WCAG guidelines as a pillar. So how does things become more operable and uh, keyboards and such would fall under that category? Next question. Next question coming in from Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas. Paul asked, should I add a wave link to my websites, which are mostly running on WordPress? Yeah, go, go ahead, uh, Laura. My answer would be not necessarily because at least not public facing because they need, they would have to download it, add it to their browser. And those of us who are using wave already have it added my recommendation would maybe add wave to your browser and run it yourself and look at what it tells you how to fix and what to do so if you're talking about having it on all your browsers absolutely yes um having it public facing available on websites i don't see as much of the point without education Harshid. You might also do an A-B test. So there's a product by Google Accessibility Scanner, and it does similar things as uh, does uh, Wave. So grab both products and run something at it with both products of your own, your, maybe your website or your app, and see what results you get and um, contrast with that. Next question. Next question coming in from Bob Sturdivant in San Antonio, Texas. Would it make sense to have a set of buttons on each page that would switch everything to page view that is specific to that disability, since some companies have specific color schemes? Go ahead, Laura. There are products out there that will do that. Um, I know Twit runs one. I cannot remember the name of it at the moment. Um, it's helpful but it's not the be-all end-all the biggest websites are continuously needing to be unfortunately evaluated by a human because the computer and the and these checkers can pick up so much but it's um it's a race out there and every time something changes you've got to check everything again and it's it's really a thing um, particularly in the development side for Windows, because there's a new, we get a new version of JAWS sometimes every four to six weeks because of changes on the operating systems on Windows and the changes in the browsers. Next question. Next question from Paul Terry Wallace. Uh, Pope Tech is powered by Wave. What does this do as a site scanner? Hi, Laura. Do you have? But I've not seen that. Um, I, I I assume it's a bigger version of what we just looked at. It's it's the same API. It's an API running inside of something else that's doing the exact same thing. Um, okay. Yeah. Next question. And next question is coming from me. What is the one thing that a web designer can do to improve their accessibility? For example, what are the most common errors? 
alt tags. Make sure you, that you and, have. And can you can you explain what alt tags are for folks that are that are listening and haven't haven't had to deal with those? Alt tags are where you go in and tell, like like um, there's a way in code, and I'm not I'm not a developer, so I don't know. But basically, you go in and you tell this is what the picture is. Um, what this is what the picture is. It gives you a you're just tagging it to tell the screen reader, read this, this description goes with this. And um, that is one of the biggest things you can do to create the accessibility of your website. Um, Let me see if I could find. Harshid. Again, we're going to, I'm going to go back to the web content accessibility guidelines. If you kind of follow through with those uh, rules or regulations of what needs to be done, things become better and better uh, finite. So alt tag is alternative tagging. So if you have a picture of a dog, uh, a brown dog, and that doesn't explain much, but then you say a dog named Paddywhack, a Corgi. Well, you might have more picture or you know, oh, that's, you know, somebody that we know's dog. And so it's, adding more context and it's making it more understandable. It's giving more uh, of that understandability of what's going on on the web page. Uh, that also goes through the some of the alerts and stuff. So if forms aren't labeled, uh, you might have, hey, uh, sign up to our website's mailing list, but you don't uh, register that email is not labeled. The screen reader is not going to know that that's asking for an email uh, instead, it's just going to say box. So that could be really difficult if you're even sending out documents to people and it's like a PDF and it just looks like a bunch of blank forms and those form elements aren't being read to others. So that could be uh, a little tricky to get across. And that's why when you're working with different documents, uh, even if it is a PDF, you might take that PDF and then convert it for web. And that becomes a web press, uh, WordPress kind of document that you want to put out there or you want to add that image to your uh, document on your website. And you would uh, put a, uh, a captioning. And that captioning would say, okay, there's this table or there's this uh, image here. And the image is of XYZ. And that's just giving you context of what's on the web page. The text part, the paragraph, is just simple paragraph and things of that nature. Um, that's why headings become uh, really important because you have like heading one, two, and then three. It's just breaking it down. So heading one could be uh, mixers. Uh, heading two could be the brands, Yamaha, Sony, blah, blah, blah. And then if you want to go heading three, it's which one have balanced or not balanced. And that's just informative way of breaking things down. And that's what we learned in, in you know, writing a paper. But it's the same principles that go on web design when you're introducing it to a screen reader and such. Good, John. So Harshi just said it, the first thing you learn in, in best practices for web design is to use alt tags because they're super important for SEO as well. Right. So, and that gets back to something that I was talking about a little bit earlier of a lot of times we think of the accessibility as only accessibility, but can, John, can you explain a bit, a little bit about uh, how that affects SEO? Yeah. And so, is, and, and for those listening, search engine optimization, <laughs> so just SEO. So, so Google crawls the, the, the inner tubes that it has since day one and, and their whole 
their whole goal in life is is to create a ranking system for websites based upon how many external links they find pointing to your website. That's that's ninety percent of, of SEO is how many external links are pointing to your website. So the more descriptive you can be on those pages, especially tagging those pictures with an alt tag, is super important in SEO because now they get a clear information of of your content on your page because well with now with ai they can read the they can describe the, the content without having an alt tag so we'll see where that goes eventually yeah. but but today all that information the more information you have on your page and the more external links that you have pointing into your website causes your seo to go up oops sorry next question David Brady from New York, New York. For a corporation that has lots of websites from different verticals within the company, can a product like Wave be used to audit these pages for compliance? Are there methods to automate any evaluation methods? Go ahead, Laura. I'm going to be first to say that if you automate it, you're getting 60%. But the problem, uh, a program like Waves will give you that 60%. And there are other, um, this, the plugin is only like the bottom level of what Wave does. Um, Wave is put out by um, Web AIM, which stands for Accessibility in Mind. And it's, an, it's a .org. It's a huge website. They do a, there's a screen reader survey they do every couple of years. They have the million website survey. So it's a great that, that entire website's a great source of information. I come back to it over and over and over again. But the bottom line here being is you need a human to make decisions about the human experience. No AI, no machine learning has gotten good enough yet, and I say yet, to actually the, to evaluate the human experience with any particular website. Yeah, and I think that that's gonna be the case for some time, but I mean, AI will get better at it, but but I think that there is still just a lot of processing that's required to with almost anything when you're talking about these fine details. Um, next question. Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas, back again. Can you give us examples of sites that have high and low accessibility scores and things that please you and bother you about popular sites? What is officehours.global score? Go ahead, Laura. Last time I talked to Ken, officehours.global was running above 95% accessible. And I, I don't want to go outside of our um, website and the properties we own and show things, particularly on the less accessible side, because I just, it's just, it's not good for the companies. Um, I don't care who they are. So, um, but things that bother me are, Going back to the structure and the order of a page, if you can't get to, I have enough sight that sometimes I can see, but I can't always comprehend what I'm reading. And if I can't get a particular part of a website to read a paragraph to me because it's coded in some weird way, I have to say, I am the first person who was absolutely did a happy dance the day Flash died. But that's a whole nother, because um, they used to put, um, things behind flash in flash players that were text to prevent um, 
quite often piracy and things like that. And it was, there's a word I can't think of right now um, where you um, basically pirate somebody else's text as your own plagiarism, particularly in in to prevent plagiarism, but it also absolutely locked the screeners out. So I was probably the first person to do a happy dance the day Flash died. You, you might have been the first, but there was a lot of us. <laughs> so we were not, Flash wasn't the most most popular thing by the time it ended. Uh, next question. Next question from Paul Terry Wallace again in Austin, Texas. I was blown away when I just ran, uh, and he's referring to a link to Wave. It's unbelievably good for testing your sites. Can someone run this as a screen share to show the panel what this does? Use officehours.global or any site for a demo just to show it. Go ahead, Laura. That would take me a minute. Um, I don't know that I can, but let me work on it. Okay. All right. Uh, Next question. And it's from Paul. What importance is alt text? Do you get irritated that web authors ignore this? Laura. Or Hashid. Go ahead. So with alt alt text, it's, again, you want to provide enough context to your storybook, right? So if you have a website that is about stories and you're looking at a cover, well, what does that cover tell you? When you go to the bookstore, what does the cover tell you that's on the bookshelf? It's the same principle here. So if the book cover is of a man and a horse and a pond, well, those are three elements. And in your mind, you might get it's a Western, it's a Maybe it's a cowboy, but it gives you some kind of imagery. And so adding just some sort of uh, linkage to your page or a theme to your page can help you. So at Office Hours Global, we have our alt tag saying maybe our logo. And uh, in the OH space days, we might have had image of the rocket, 18-foot rocket uh, ready for launch. Right. So that's giving you some kind of imagery that it's the image of that or the picture of everybody in the OH space uh, uh, crew, which is a huge thing of photo, like so many people. But each person was tagged. So I could have went each one person by one person and known, OK, that that's what Keenan looks like. OK, cool. Oh, OK. Everybody says tall look is really tall. That's that's a tall man over there. So, you know, people identify even with low vision and other things. So it's important to have that. Next. Whoops. Sorry. Next question. And from Simon Ray in Shrewsbury, UK, when writing the alt tag for a video on a website, should you describe the thumbnail image? the content of the video or of the both? Go ahead, Laura. You want to be as concise as possible while still being as descriptive as possible. Long alt tags can be an issue because you got to remember the screen reader user is listening to that sometimes very quickly, but we're also making decisions about when to hit next. Basically, usually it's the tab key based on what we're hearing in the first one to two seconds um, on each. And and Paul, that link that you had is exactly what I was showing earlier. It brings the down the side. Um, I can go back to my screen. When I put it in, it brought up exactly what I was showing earlier. Um, this is what it brings you to when you put that link in. And all I had done was turned off the style so that we could see much easier where each of the icons were 
to click on to reference over here. So this is with the style on, this is with it off. So, um, but yeah, that is very much, it, it's a lot of really good information. The next question. From Chad Lafarge in Columbia, Missouri, what's the practical difference between alt tags and ARIA labels? Go ahead, Laura. ARIA labels, um, I'd have to refresh my memory, but they are more, there's more to an ARIA label. And I, uh, I've not dove completely deeply into ARIA. I do know that they prefer alt, alt tags are preferred over ARIA labels because ARIA too heavily used um, is a bad, is, is not a bad thing, but it's harder for a lot of things to work on. Go ahead, Harshi. I'm going to give you a perspective of how I use it as a screen reader user. If you were on a website that had a button that's a drop down, and that might be an ARIA controlled button element, and then, or you might use an alt tag or something to label it as a link, or, or maybe just use a link instead and not even an alt tag. Uh, if you're using images, you might, but um, it's those little intricacies that makes it unstable sometimes. But um, as, as Laura's mentioned, it, it's good to know both element types uh, and the, the main differences. So all tags typically, again, go for images, graphics, and, and stuff like that. ARIA controls are more of elemental stuff that might do drop downs or might change stuff on the website. So I would say they, they reach into more into controls rather than anything else. Next question. Next question in from Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas. How important is contrast and accessibility of web pages? Go ahead, Laura. Contrast is huge. Um, that's probably one of the number one errors you see is the contrast errors. And uh, it, can it can take something from, particularly for your low vision. Remember, when you're talking the blind and visually impaired community, very, very rarely are you going to get someone who has no perceivable usable vision. Um, so the contrast is, and you can get people, there's there's a there's a population of the of particularly the male population that are, I think it's red, green, colorblind. Um, contrast can also be an issue for them. And you don't necessarily have to talk to someone who's doing, using a screen reader for contrast to be a huge issue. Okay. One, one other good example. And it's not just red and green. People think it's red and green, but it's also things that have red and green in them, like orange and yellow. So Sound Devices has a, um, a lot of people have this problem. Sound Devices on their little interface, post and pre-fader are yellow and orange. And at a distance, anybody that has any kind of red-green sensitivities will look at it and not be able to make a decision about what does that actually mean, you know? And so it's it's very, very difficult, those wrong colors. <laughs> so, so anyway, um, Laura and Harshid, thank you so much for uh, for joining us for this uh, for this second hour. I think, you know, we're going to keep on coming back to accessibility. We'll look at other ways to do it. We're gonna we've talked about captions in the past. We'll talk about uh, more of that um, as we as we move through the year. But, you know, I think that it's important that we keep on coming back and touching on these things so that we're both sensitive to it, but also understand how to get it into our workflow. A lot of the problems that we end up with um, is, is that we um, is that a lot we get asked to do something like this. So someone's in production, 
and um, they get asked to do something like this and then it's a huge lift. Like, oh my gosh, I don't have any idea how to do this. I don't know where to start. I don't even know what to look for. And it's really, really important um, that we get our heads around it and experiment with that. And we will be continuing to experiment with uh, accessibility features within, in, in addition to HDR and, and surround and one everything else. We're going to look at Alex. Yeah, we have one more question that, that, that came in um, real quick, but before your final thought um, from, from Paul, go ahead and read the last question. Last question from Paul. Uh, my websites are getting horrible accessibility scores. I wish yeah. more people knew about this. Yeah, exactly. So, so us getting more sensitive about it. But I think that, you know, you'll see us continue to, you know, obviously the site, uh, Ken's done a great job at making the site very accessible. Um, and we'll continue to tie that together um, uh, as we move forward. But you'll also see us experimenting with other, exp um, other things that we can do. Uh, within the realm of budget and so on and so forth, but like automated uh, captioning and so on and so forth is something we're definitely looking at um, for what we're doing um, on YouTube and in other areas. Um, yeah, go ahead, Laura, on the final thought. One final thought is that um, to to Paul Paul's comment, there is also go look at the million website survey on that same from that same website. It's a um, mind blowing. They took the 1 million most popular websites and ran an accessibility test on the 1 million most popular websites. Officehours.global is the exception. Ken has done an amazing job. Ken and I have had long discussions about the Officehours.global, and he uses the IBM accessibility checker, which is known to be the most stringent in any anywhere given. Um, I think he said at one point, officehours.global actually scored higher than IBM's own website. So, um, which I thought was kind of amazing because that's, but that's due to the dedicated um, of our, uh, our web team here. And also just thank you so much for thinking about it. And it really is, I, I go back to it time and time again, our vision statement, a global conversation where no one is left out. So yeah, and, and that's what we're going to keep on working on, you know, so in figuring out how this becomes accessible um, and how the content continues to become more and more accessible is something that we're going to keep on, uh, just keep on um, shaving away at, you know, some things are, you know, some things are harder than others, but we're going to, you know, we're really glad that Laura and Harshid are here to kind of hold us, hold us accountable um, and that we have someone that's, that's here all the time as part of the team's. Uh, in the panel, and you know, I think we've we've made a lot of upgrades because Laura and Harshid are here um, to um, you know really provide the guidance that we need to do that. Most organizations don't aren't as lucky <laughs> to have that. So yeah, Mitchell, you're going to say something. I just want to uh, remind folks that uh, Laura will be over in after hours for the first hour and a half or so to answer any additional questions you might have. That's great. All right. Well, thank you so much, Laura and Harshid and everyone on the panel. I can't do this without you. Um, and thanks to our producers for all the great questions uh, for the first and the second hours. Good conversation. And uh, of course, thank, thank you to the incredible team seven days a week that comes out and makes sure that the show actually happens. This is not a normal Zoom uh, call. <laughs> we don't just get on and we used to a long time ago. We got on and we just kind of did Zoom and it was just me turning the thing on. It's no longer that. It's a huge village in the back end that's uh, making this all happen every single day, um, volunteering their time. It's just really amazing. So thank you so much for your work. And uh, now we're going to jump into After Hours. 66,000 miles. 107 kilometers. 1,000 kilometers. My trust is going to have OBS in it, Alex.
it's OBS. OBS. Yeah. I'm going to, mine's going to have memo live, so we'll just see how it goes. I'll have a memo. I'll have the memo truck. The memo van. I'm going to put, I'm going to sponsor it. I'm going to put a sticker on the side that says OBS stinks. <laughs> wow. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I just wish it worked better on the Mac. <laughs> it actually, it runs fine for me. Okay. I do a lot of stuff with it. Okay. I don't composite things, but I use it for as a switcher. It works fine. And if you barely use it, it works great. Okay. Exactly. That's my strategy. That's, that's been my strategy for my whole career. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do barely anything very well. And everything works. <laughs> <laughs>